Praise the Lord. Amen. You would turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Okay, this is Mark's account of the life of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to know, notice where he starts. Okay, not all of the gospel writers start in the same place. Mark is a very exciting book. A lot of people think that uh, uh, these sermons were being dictated by Peter, you know, shortly before Peter's death, and he was writing down literally narrative accounts of what Jesus' life was like from one person who knew it very well. And uh, so it starts off, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. So this account of the gospel is starting with this part of Jesus' life, which is actually John uh, preaching repentance and baptizing people. And we've read this so many times that we think we know all about baptism and the message of repentance that John was preaching, but we may not know a lot about it, as we'll find out as we go through it today. And you say, Chad, you're probably wrong. I know all about baptism and all about repentance. And uh, I learned a lot. So if that makes you feel a little more comfortable, <laughs> I would say, you don't know much anyway. That's okay. <laughs> it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So he starts off with a prophecy. This is Mark 1. What did I say? Oh, did I say 3? I'm sorry. Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel. I told you I didn't know much. So... The beginning of the good news about Jesus Messiah, the Son of God, is written by the prophet Isaiah. I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Mark is quoting Isaiah and saying, this is what the prophet spoke about. The king is coming, and he's going to have a messenger, and then he's going to present the messenger of the king, right? So he goes on and he says, As and so, in fulfillment of the prophecy, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Okay, now this isn't just a wilderness. Uh, some of the words to describe the wilderness is devastation. Um, it's just a very, very rocky, um, ugly wilderness. I mean, just a brutal, one of the most brutal wildernesses in the world where is this man who came out of this wilderness. He was a rugged man. Okay. You can't undervalue the man that's walking out of this wilderness to preach and to be the forerunner of a king. Now, does that sound a little strange? Immediately in this particular culture, um, whether you were a Gentile and you were talking about the Roman governors, uh, the kings, the Caesars, they all understood what it meant to have a, uh, a messenger to go in advance of a king to make sure people were prepared to receive his uh, coming. Okay, how many understand that? They knew what it meant to have a royal procession come through and what it meant to receive a king correctly because if you didn't receive a king correctly in that culture, it would be a very bad thing. It wouldn't be like uh, uh, in our culture if we were to um, um, somehow be rude to our president or somehow not receive him correctly or somehow insult. In fact, it used to be 
that regardless of which party you were respectful to the office of the president. And, uh, and today in our society, we don't have to be, but in those days, you really had to be because you could uh, literally lose your head over it. Okay, so they understood what it meant when a messenger came through and said, hey, get ready because a, his royalty is coming. Uh, the Jews especially understood it because they had been waiting for this king to arrive for a long time. Uh, he was the Messiah. And so Isaiah was actually prophesying that this is what it would be like, the conditions when the Messiah finally comes. And he's saying this is what Jesus would be. This is, he would have a forerunner. And he would come out of the wilderness and he would be crying in the wilderness. And literally, John is in the wilderness crying out for the people to repent and prepare for him to come. So he goes and it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So he's in the middle of a wilderness where a river flowed through the Jordan, and he's crying out and he's preaching about repentance, a baptism of repentance, and who's coming out to see him? Not just everybody. All the people of Jerusalem went out to him. All the people on the Judean, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him. These are Jews that are flocking out to be baptized. Everybody see that? People, all the people from Judea, Jerusalem, they're coming out to see him. They're flocking masses, and masses of people are flocking. In fact, they say that uh, he was so popular that just everybody... Now, how many know it takes a lot of people to go out to a wilderness? I mean, this is a pretty dramatic revival. They say aside from maybe the revival of Jonah's day, where the entire Assyrian uh, country repented... This may be one of the biggest revivals ever. John the Baptist had a huge following. And, and, and people were even afraid to say a negative word about John the Baptist because he was so popular. I mean, know that. And they're flocking out to a wilderness. And it says, The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. We need an evangelist like that one week. I really, I know we need it. We need a wild-eyed evangelist with camel hair. You say, I bet that would be a pretty fine suit he would have, you know, a double-breasted camel hair. That sounds pretty exotic. This wasn't exotic, it was actually exotic. It was literally a camel's hair. He was, it was very impoverished the way, the, the way that he dressed. He was surviving on what was in the wilderness. Okay, he was surviving on the food from the wilderness, the clothing from the wilderness. He was a very rugged man and comes out of the wilderness. And here's what he, his message was. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would speak this message, Lord God. Hide me behind your cross, Lord God. My message and my thoughts and my opinions are irrelevant. Lord, but your words are everything, Lord. They mean everything, Lord God. They, um, 
They're worth everything, Lord God. They will cost us everything if we don't listen, Lord. So I pray that your words would be spoken this morning. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Um, so you see this um, wild-eyed preacher. And, and, and to be honest, there's not a lot of places in the Bible where it talks about somebody preaching. New Testament is kind of where you begin to see people preach, preach righteousness, preach repentance, preach against sin. You begin to see these evangelists begin to rise up and begin to preach. And John was one of these men that God, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the evangelists um, that were proclaiming Jesus Christ. And John is preaching this gospel and he's doing something that's very curious and very unusual. Um, and actually it's something they haven't seen before. How many know that? When John began to baptize people, this was very unique. And we say, well, wait a minute, we've always baptized people. Jewish people didn't. How many know that this wasn't a custom that they um, had normally seen among Jewish people baptizing. There's just no background for it in the Old Testament as far as baptizing Jewish people. And so for them, it was a little unusual to see John baptizing people. And so we've got to understand what's going on here because to them, it would have been a little disconcerting, don't you think? And sometimes we don't appreciate that because we're used to baptizing people. You know, this is something that we've known about our whole life because we've grown up in Christian churches and, and, and sometimes we don't even know fully what's the history of baptism, why we do it. What is the purpose of it and why did John proclaim the kingdom? Why did he, why did he, in, in advancing the idea that the king is about to come, why did he use baptism? And why did Jesus immediately after he meets John why did he have to be baptized? And why when um, uh, all of Judea and Jerusalem came out to repent of their sins and prepare for Jesus, why did all of them have to get baptized? And why when the Spirit fell on the church, did three of them, 3,000 of them get baptized? And why when the church begins to proclaim the message and and Philip the evangelist is sitting with the eunuch and he said, is there anything stopping you from baptizing me now? And he said, no. And they found a body of water and they baptized him. Why when the last words of Jesus to all of the disciples said, go into the whole world and preach the gospel, baptizing everyone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is it so important? Why is it from beginning to end, why is there a continuity in the Bible of baptizing? And so we've got to answer that question this morning. This is a critically important question because there are only two things that the Lord asked us to do as a church. Two things that He's commanded us to do as a church with believers in it. And that is, baptize everyone who believeth on His name. And the other one is, the Lord's Supper. How many know that? Communion. God wants us to do those two things 
um, and they're the only things, ordinances that are commanded by the Lord to do. All right? And so I want to make sure this morning that we have a good understanding what baptism is. In fact, we uh, had this new baptismal tank over here. We've been praying for this for quite a while. And uh, we were praying, and, and uh, man, the week before we got it, I was kind of like, I need a water baptism tank. You know, I've been praying for it. I've been constantly looking for one, could never find one. Every time we priced them, they were like really expensive and we just couldn't afford it. They were like in around the $3,000 range, even to get something inexpensive. And we thought, man, are there other options? What can we do? You know, you want to have something that's kind of portable. You want to have something that you can immediately baptize people. You know, you want something where you're not draining massive amounts of water. It's more complicated than you think. You say, well, it's easy. You know, it's a little more complicated than you think. And so we were praying about it. We've had several uh, meetings about trying to figure out how to do it. And and finally that one week, I just kind of blurted out, I need a water baptism tank. And sure enough, that week, I'd been looking for a long time, just, just looking and looking and looking, trying to find somewhere even farther away from here. And so one came up, and it was... Uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I thought, oh man, Knoxville, Tennessee. And so I started kind of checking my calendar. I thought, man, when can I break away to go down to Knoxville? And the price was really good. I was like, wow, this is a brand new tank. Hardly ever been used. It was actually a really big church. I think you said 40,000 square feet. They bought it, didn't really use it, and then they moved out of the building. And so this Russian Orthodox group, I think, bought the building and so I'm making arrangements for my calendar to try to get down there. And Eddie said, hey, me and John will go do that. And I thought, really? Are you sure? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And so next thing I know, they're driving down there. And uh, and uh, I get a call right about the time they're supposed to be there, the guy that I had connected with down there. He said, hey, I'm here. They're not here. And I said, well, they just called me a few minutes ago and said they're there. He said, well, I don't see them. And then Eddie called me and said, hey, you know, this group here is... uh." Uh, this Russian group was, <laughs> they were kind of like the mafia. And they were like, hey, you know, you, well, you're not supposed to be here. And he goes, no, we are. We're supposed to meet somebody. They go, you're not supposed to meet somebody here. And, and they were kind of a little bit. And so they heard him, threw it on there. Well, the guy from the front talked to me, ran to the back, took the money, and then left. And so they were there with the Russian group. And so Eddie just finally threw it on the truck and, and <laughs> didn't know why the guy left. And uh, so it was a little nerve-wracking. But we get back home. And that Sunday morning, they did that on Saturday night. Sunday morning, I'm standing there by the tank, and I'd seen pictures of it, but I finally got to look at it for the first time. And right as I'm looking at it, Eddie hands me the mail. And uh, we get a random donation from a person that we haven't met before, and it was exactly $1,000, which is what we paid for that tank. So uh, God provided us a tank to baptize people. And it has a heater in it. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's something that, I mean, if, if one thing we're going to learn as we get in water baptism, it's inconvenient. How many of you know it's inconvenient? And we're in a culture that doesn't want to be inconvenienced. You think about it, hey man, we're going to do it next Sunday after church. Well man, it's going to mess my hair up. All that beautiful hair gel that I put in, all that hairspray, all that teasing that I did, and you're saying, Chad, that's just you. Okay, I do put a little gel in. 
But how many know it's inconvenient? Um, here's some other things we're going to run into. Some of you have been serving the Lord for 20 years and haven't been baptized. You say, well, I missed my chance. How many know that there's not a, um, what's it called in the law, when whenever they can't prosecute you after a certain period of time? Statute of limitation. There's no statute of limitations on water baptism. I mean, no. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, it's been five years, you missed your chance. It's been 10 years, you missed your chance. It's been 20 years, you missed your chance. Um, some of us won't do it because of the time that has elapsed. And I would encourage you today, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, and you're going to see as I get into the message. Some of you were water baptized and you didn't really know what you were doing. How many know that? You may not have known what you were doing. You may have just done it because a parent wanted you to do it. You may have done it because they had one and they encouraged you to do it and you really weren't living for the Lord at that time. I mean, know that I'm telling the truth. I was water baptized when I was a young man. But then when I got older, I fully determined to serve the Lord and I did it again. And it meant a great deal to me. And... So some people won't do it because of pride. Some people won't do it because of convenience. Some people won't do it for a lot of reasons, but there, as I will share with you this morning, are good reasons that you need to do it. I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord and say, hey, I didn't do it because of this reason. And you say, well, is the water going to save me? Well, we're going to get into that today. We're going to get in, does the water save you? Does the ceremony save you? And and we're going to get into what it means, where it came from. I mean, I think these are important questions to answer. And so we're going to attempt to answer those this morning. You say, well, man, that's not your most exciting message. No, but it's a very important message, okay? We need to know this message. We need to understand this message. Uh, so where did it come from? Where would they have even accepted something like this from John um, if it wasn't something they normally did? Why would they receive it so readily from him? Well, first of all, let's look at the word baptism. Okay, it comes from the word baptizo. And it literally means to immerse something in to completely dye it. Like you're going to completely dye something. Like, I don't know, you have an egg and you want to color it maybe. I don't do that, but that's the best one that came to my mind. Or maybe a whole shirt is going to be dyed, a garment. Something gets completely dyed, it gets completely immersed, okay? So the word itself, a literal translation of the word, means to be immersed, okay? And this is, uh, you say, well, man, why is that important to know what the word means? Because um, it's not something that can be done to you. It's something you immerse yourself into, okay? And if you don't do the, and, and, and we're going to separate two things here as I'm preaching. We're going to separate ceremony. Okay, there's the ceremony of baptism. And a lot of us are resistant to formal ceremonies, right? But on this one, don't. But let's make sure the form and the function of what we're doing is correct because it's, it's showing something that's happening on the inside that's very important. It's like a marriage. My wife and I dated for three and a half years. And I knew probably within the first 
several months that we that she was the only person um, that I ever wanted to be with. And really, she was the only one that really would date me. You know, so so it helped make the decision really, you know, a lot easier. There were no, there was a long line. All right, so. But I, how many of you know? You know before the wedding day. You know that I'm committed to this person. I'm dedicated to this person. The form or the ceremony doesn't really change the commitment that you made. So what God is really saying through baptism is that you should already have the internal commitment to the Lord, but it is very important to formalize it with this particular ceremony. So we understand that through marriage, right? So as we begin to look at this thing that is literally translated immersion or completely immersed in water is what the word literally means, okay? We can't completely immerse somebody in water if we're sprinkling water on them, right? This is a complete immersion, and that's going to become very important as we go along. Well, the idea of this, what would have came to the mind of the Jews is uh, what's called a proselyte to the Jewish religion. Okay, anybody know what a proselyte is? A proselyte, literally, the Jews, the Bible says, received the covenants. The Jews received the baptisms. The the Jews received the laws. The Jews received the word of God. How many of you know it's through the Jews that God chose to reveal himself through the word of God? It was given to the Jews, and they had all this that was given directly to them from God. And God says it himself. He entrusted them with the message to the world. Everybody follow me? Now, there was a group of people called Gentiles, and that just simply was anybody who's not Jewish. And so Gentiles, God really wanted them to be a part of what he was doing. He wanted them to know him. So in order for a Gentile to know him, they had to do three things uh, that were very important. And they had three names to them. I guess I'll go through my notes and make sure I give you the names too, but I'll tell you what they are in a second. The first one is called Milah. The third one, our second one is called Tabula. And the fourth one is called Corbin. So here's the three things that they required a proselyte to do. That means if I wanted to become part of the Israeli nation, if I wanted to become part of Judaism, if I wanted to convert and make the God of Israel my God, there were three things I needed to do. And uh, I want to explain these three things because God kind of consolidates them into water baptism. And the first one is, uh, if they were a male and they converted to Judaism, you know where I'm going. They had to be circumcised. And boy, this is harsh. In fact, this is something in the early church, and you say, man, we have to talk about this on Sunday morning. <laughs> it's very biblical. And very harsh and very different and very unique. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Abraham's reaction when God first told him, he was like, you what? And then his kids were like, he told you what? You know what I'm saying? But it was a very important message through this. And the very important message is that you are going to have children, okay? And basically... As harsh as this is, as harsh as it sounds, 
God was very direct. This is a symbol to you that when you have a child through procreation, something's wrong with you. You have a sinful nature that you're going to pass on to your children. And you say, well, man, that's not the natural state, uh, circumcision. And what God was trying to tell you is in your natural state, you're going to pass on sin. And let this be a symbol to you, Abraham, to your sons, to your son's sons, and those who are uh, uh, reproducing a child, that your child is going to have a sinful nature. You have to know that you have to change. You have to have the circumcision of heart, which means you can't stay in the same state you are in, Abraham. When you pass on uh, and you have a, a child through procreation, if you don't change, if you don't have a circumcision of the heart, you're going to pass on sin and death to your child. Let this be a symbol to you. Don't forget it. Get the sharpest rock you have. And let me make a point to you, Abraham. You have a sinful nature. You need God. And never let one of your descendants ever forget it. Now do you, now do you get it? In order to convert, it doesn't matter if you were 50 or 60 or 70 year old Gentile man. You had to understand that I have a sinful nature that needs a savior. And that was God's way of saying, don't forget to raise your household righteously that you've been marked with a mark, okay? And I expect you to understand that you have a sinful nature that needs to be changed. Your natural state is not good enough. Now they would go on to the New Testament, and as they began to preach the gospel, they had a a, a big meeting in Acts 15 called the Jerusalem Conference council, whatever it is, they all got together and they said, hey, these Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Do they need to be circumcised? Because that had been the practice of the proselytes all the way up to that point. And they said, no, it's a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And the circumcision of the heart is just simply this. You need to understand that something's wrong with you. And so the preaching of the baptism of repentance starts right there. In fact, why do you think the enemy is so opposed to preachers of righteousness, preachers of repentance? Everywhere you go in the early church, they're preaching repentance. Peter is preaching repentance. Paul is preaching repentance. Jesus is preaching repentance. John the Baptist is preaching repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of your sins. And why in the last days do they not want to hear it? Because they want to believe in their current state, they're all right. They want to believe if I'm just good enough, I'll make it. They want to believe that in my current state, everything's all right. That's why nobody wants to hear the message of repentance. They want to say, well, wait a minute, I'm okay in my pornography. Wait a minute, I'm okay in my fornication. Wait a minute, I'm okay in my adultery. Wait a minute, I'm okay with my gender issues. Oh, Chad, you went there. You are not right. God is. That's the first step. You say, well, wait a minute, Chad. I can, uh, I've got real strong opinions on cheating, stealing, you know, taxes. You know, I'm not going to give them government. If I have to cheat a little bit to not give them something, that's okay with me. You know, I can lie. Just a little white lie. White lies are okay. You understand that God 
is righteousness, the preaching of repentance is to get us to that first step. If the law doesn't make us guilty, you say, well, I'm going to obey the law and I'm going to get to heaven. That's why you can't do that. The law was there to help you with the first step. The first step is in my natural state, I'm not good enough to make it to heaven. I am a sinner who needs a Savior. So the first step of a proselyte was admit you are a sinner. And so a lot of my messages every week are, guess what? Admit it. Just understand you're a sinner. Because none of the things in the Bible make sense if you're not a sinner. If you have all the answers, if your life is right, if you're hitting the mark, if you're perfect, if you're good, if you're all these things and you're acceptable to God, everything I'm preaching makes no sense. But if I could make you understand you're a sinner, you're away from God, God's anger, God's wrath, these things are over your head right now waiting to fall on you. How many know that? How many know the Ten Commandments are literally aimed in your direction and you're going to have to stand before the throne of God and you will die in your sins if I don't send this message and it doesn't get through. So the first thing is, as a convert to the to Judaism, you've got to understand I'm a sinner and my current state is not acceptable to God. And that's a... You think it's a hard message for Abraham to be circumcised? Man, this message is harder for the hearts of men that I have to change. You mean I'm not good enough? Does God not realize how much charity I do compared to other people? Does God not realize how good of a person I am, how good-hearted I am? And boy, when you say that message, you're still going to hell. You know how hard that is to digest that? Like I said, Abraham was just like, what what a minute, sharp rock? What do you want me to do? That's easy compared to, you're wrong. In fact, the psalmist said that he, uh, he woke up one day and realized that every man his whole life had been a liar. And can I tell you something, church? It feels so good for me to realize I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I've hurt more people than I want to, I can, I, care to even mention. And you have too. We've all hurt people with our sins. We've all hurt God with our sins. We've all let God down. We've all missed the mark. And boy, if we can ever get to the point where we realize we're sinners saved by grace. Sinners who have a Savior. Sinners who are loved and forgiven and made a sacrifice for us so we could be perfect. Then we... That's the first step. Second step, and this was for the proselytes only, not for the Jews. The second step to come into Judaism was you had to be immersed completely in water. You had to be baptized. And so Nicodemus, when he went to Christ, I preached about this a few weeks ago, when Nicodemus went to Christ, Nicodemus represented the best of the best. Okay, he was the guy that was the teacher of the Pharisees. He was the guy who literally was their chief captain. He was the best righteous man among the best righteous people. How many know that? Nicodemus was the best of the best. And he told Nicodemus, you can't make it to heaven unless you're born again. And he was referring to this that I'm talking about today. 
The only thing he was referring to was when a new convert came in from a Gentile nation, they wanted to proselyte to the Jewish religion. They said you had to be baptized, and the baptized symbolized your death to the Gentile way of life. Like your Gentile way of life ended, it's over, you're buried, and now you're going to rise up in the newness of life. You're going to be a new creature, and you're going to be in a new kingdom, and you're going to be in a new name. You're going to be officially a Jewish person by faith because you've been immersed in this water. And so the only way that they knew about baptism was the proselytes. So now, hold on, back up a little bit. Now we've got to reinterpret some scriptures. John comes from the wilderness, right? John is preaching repentance and baptizing people. Who's coming out to see him? Jews are coming to see him, and they're being baptized. And one of the accounts, it says, people from all classes were coming and being baptized. Even scribes and Pharisees were being baptized. Do you understand the impact of what's going on in John's ministry here? Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, prostitutes. Um, i got to be careful where I point, don't I? So I had somebody say, you said something and you looked at me, and when I point and say prostitutes, the people are going to be like, wait a minute, he called me a name. Soldiers were there. Everybody, this was such a ministry, they were going to the wilderness and they were submitting uh, because the prophets had said that there would be one who would come who would change everything. How many know this is a dramatic change? He's telling them the old way of life has passed away. The old covenant is gone. He was even saying things like, the old wineskin can't hold the new one. Like what I'm telling you is so big that it will literally burst and you won't be able to handle it unless you change your way of thinking because your thinking won't won't be able to handle this. And so he's treating the Jewish nation like If you don't become a new creature, okay, if you don't come and be baptized into a new way of life, you can't even get to heaven. That's what he told Nicodemus. Be born again. They're baptizing literally all of these people who are Jewish and they're submitting to him. Understand the Messiah is coming and we need to be baptized into newness of life We need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins because up until that point, all they had was covering of sin. Now they're saying one is going to come and when this one comes, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's also going to completely forgive your sins. He's going to take them away. But you have to be baptized to prepare for him to come. You have to be baptized into this new kingdom, this new life, Becoming a new person, the old one has to pass away, and you have to have the new person. And so, boy, I'm amazed that they actually submitted to this. I mean, no, this is pretty dramatic. This isn't just, we've always done baptism, makes total sense. It's like, no, we're treating Jewish people like Gentiles now. And it's just really a difficult thing he's asking them to do. And so, the representation totally with baptism, and the Jews knew about washing with water. 
because they had a lot of ceremonial washings. You know, they washed all the time, had ceremonial washings, and that's not what they were doing with the proselytes. The proselytes literally was funeral language. In order to be Jewish, you have to put to death your old way of life, your Gentile life, and you have to rise up as a new creature, a new person. Um, Behold, all things are new. These are things that they had heard about the proselytes. And so now John the Baptist is coming and he's baptizing. And then Jesus comes to be baptized. Wow. So he's baptizing for repentance and the remission of sins. And Jesus comes to be baptized. John previously had already seen him coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that dies for the sins of the world. And kind of marked him as that. And several disciples left John and said, Hey, that's the one. And so they kind of left him at that point and went to Jesus. And it says Jesus was baptizing more than John even. So what was Jesus doing? His disciples were doing what? Baptizing people. So this new practice, it became the thing. Everybody, Jesus, John, the upper room, the disciples afterward, all the way to the ends of the earth, what are they doing? Physically immersing people in water and it's representing a funeral. Dying to the old life and rising up in the new life. Third thing they did, it was called Corbin. And it was a sacrifice had to be made in the Old Testament for a proselyte to come to the Lord. And the sacrifice symbolized a sacrifice for their sins. The sins that they had accomplished in the past and the sins that they would accomplish in the future or what happened in the future. There was a sacrifice made because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So enter Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He becomes this sacrifice. So you have the um, circumcision of the heart, which is repentance, right? And let me explain something very carefully. First Peter says, it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the good conscience toward God. And so God expects us to have a repentance, like this desire to say, in fact, uh, repentance means to be going one direction, turn completely and go the other direction. So in order for us to have a good confession of faith and a good baptism with water, the heart has to have the same attitude. The heart has to have an attitude of repentance, like I've been going, how many remember when you were going one direction concerning God? Like I was going away from God, away from God, away from God, kind of toward God. Away from God, away, kind of toward God. And this is like a heart saying, like I'm done with that. Like I might fail, I might mess up. In fact, the words that I told the Lord, I had nobody lead me to the Lord. I just sat in my room and I said, hey God... I'm going to hold your hand no matter what. I'm never letting go. Like, I'm going to fail. I know. I know I'm going to lose a lot of friends. I might be all alone. I might have nobody in this world um, who cares about me or loves me and may not have a friend in the world. But And I may fail constantly, but I'm never letting go no matter what. 
And that was my prayer of salvation. And I've held on to the Lord's hand ever since that. And all those things happened. You know, people, a lot of people didn't want anything to do with me. A lot of times, um, I failed the Lord, but I always said, I'm never letting go. I'm staying with you through this whole thing and, and devoted to you. And, and so there is this repentance, step one. There is this dying to the old life and rising up in the new. How many know, how many times do you have to die? Daily. Daily, I've made a commitment to die to myself. That means that uh, when confronted with God's opinion, His opinion is more important than my opinion. And when confronted with my failure, God's right and I'm wrong. And so every day I'm dying, every day I'm fulfilling my commitment that I made when I was baptized in my heart. The ceremony was awesome, but when I decided in my heart that I was going to live for God, I made a commitment. And every day I'm fulfilling that commitment even through Failure. Amen? Because that third one, the Corbin, is the sacrifice that is for all of my sins. Not the ones previous to the time where I got baptized or I made my commitment to the Lord, but all of my sins. It's a plan that can't fail. Okay? The plan recognizes that I'm going to fail and I'm going to repent. And this process is always going to be working in my heart. That God covers me and forgives me. And I keep repenting, He forgives me. Confessing, He forgives me. And through all of that, how many know that God is separating me for holiness? Like you say, well, why does He do it that way? Why does He, you know, if you're still messing up, why does He still forgive you? Why does He still impute righteousness? Because He's trying to also impart righteousness. He's imputing, which means he doesn't see my failures. And that doesn't mean anything to you unless you realize he actually sees your failures. That means if blessed is the one who has imputed righteousness, means God doesn't see my sins. That means everybody else that doesn't have that covering, God sees them. God recognizes. God's going to punish people for their sins. But for me, he won't. And how many know that there are a lot of people in this world that will be held accountable for their sins that are ten times better people than me. You say, I don't know, Chad. You're nearly perfect. Right? (laughs) There are people that are ten times more charitable than me. Ten times, well, maybe a hundred times nicer than me. All right? I, I kind of recognize my strengths and my weaknesses. Every failure that I have, there are lots of people in this world better than me but their sins aren't forgiven. They haven't been imputed righteousness. And that's good for me. That's bad for them, right? But God's imputing righteousness to us if we, if we confess and repent. The baptism of repentance is what I'm talking about. God imparts that to us so He can give us righteousness. You say, well, what's righteousness? That means I'm in a process like I talked about last week, where God's straightening my life out where I can actually fulfill righteousness. I can actually complete righteousness in me that God's trying to do. But He can't do that unless He imputes it first. How many understand what I'm saying? So Jesus comes in to be baptized. And John is a little confused. How would you like to be have that tank filled up and we're doing a baptism and the Son of God, the Messiah, walks in and says, Oh, one more. 
One more needs to be baptized. And I look over and it's like, that's a vision. Like Jesus Christ in the vision, I know it's him. And he's like, baptize me. And I'm like, why? Think about it. How confusing would that be that he wants to be baptized? And he tells John, he says, no, allow it this one time so I can fulfill righteousness. Now that makes no sense unless you realize where the Jewish mind is going on baptism. Because remember, the second thing they did as a proselyte was to be baptized to die to the old life and rise up in the new life, right? So Jesus is trying to fulfill righteousness and he's trying to say, something I'm doing here doesn't have to do with my sins being forgiven. Something I'm doing here, you're not going to need to follow me in. And you say, well, I get it. I'm forgiven my sins. They're washed away. The water's dirty. I'm clean. You know, here we go. Not what he was doing. He was trying to fulfill righteousness. And Jesus, at the in the book of Mark, this is the first thing Mark mentions. is the beginning of his ministry. He gets baptized and he ends up going to the wilderness to be tempted and his ministry starts. That's where Mark starts. Other gospels put it a little bit, they show a little bit of his childhood, genealogies, and then get to it. But all of them go right to that baptism as the beginning of his ministry. And so Jesus knows what his ministry is about. He's the Lamb of God. He knows that his life is there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to die. His death Even at the moment that he's baptized, he recognizes he was born to die for us. How many know that? And the Bible is very clear about this. It says when we are baptized, we're like the um, proselyte that comes in and dies to the old life and rises up in the new life. What Jesus is saying is, when I stand here to be baptized, John, I'm being baptized into my death. How many realize that? He wasn't asking forgiveness of his sins. He was doing exactly what the proselyte did, dying to himself to be alive to God. And he knew that he was going to fulfill the dying to the world, the dying his death would die for the sins of the whole world. And so when he went in the baptism water, he was saying, I am ready to die. I'm on a track here. I'm on a course My ministry is starting today. I'm going in the wilderness. I know before I go in the wilderness, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And anybody that comes after me that wants to live this life, you better be ready to die. He said, unless a kernel falls to the ground and dies, he will not live. The Bible says that if you will die once, you'll live twice. And if you decide that you want to live once, you'll die twice. That makes sense? If I hold on to my life, I'll lose it. But if I willingly give my life and I'm alive to God, I will gain eternal life. And Jesus is representing the fact that he is dying to himself. I'm ready to die today is what he was saying. So he was baptized into his death. He resolved within himself, I am going to die so I can be alive to God. And he was on track to go straight to that cross. 
And so what he's saying is, in fact, Paul, uh, in fact, all through the New Testament, I hope I can find these in my notes. I get so lost from my notes. Listen to this. Galatians 3.27, Paul says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Colossians 2.12, Having been buried with him in baptism, you have been made alive together with him, having been forgiven of your transgressions. Paul says again, I am crucified with Christ. Nonetheless, I live. Yet it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. I die in him. I rise in him. Romans 6, do not... Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ, having been immersed into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death in order that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father that we too might have the newness of life. Do you see that what He was doing at that baptism was resolving Himself to be dead to Himself and alive to God? And He's saying if you follow Me, the water won't do anything for you. You have to have a heart that's willing to die to yourself. Die to the old life. You say, well, man, Chad, I want to get the most out of this life. And you know what? God convicted me of this a few weeks ago. He said, I was praying about it, and I thought, man, you know what? Actually, I was thinking to myself, because of my stand for God, I just wonder sometimes how many things my kids missed out on. Who have ever thought about that? Like I've went a lot of directions and I've kept them from things and other things because I wanted them to stay close to the Lord and I resolved to serve the Lord. And I was kind of a little bit inquiring with God, you know, have I been wrong in doing that? And he says, no, you've been wrong not to do more of that. And I said, well, how is that, God? Why is that? Some, some of you want to know that probably, don't you? Why is that? And God just started to show me Like, man, there are missionary families that their kids have missed out on everything. They've missed out on everything because they have died to themselves and they're alive to God. And God just began to show me that this world is a mirage. That all these things we're living for are detracting us from God. And God wants us to have real life, real eternal life. God is like, man, I don't think you realize what's in the world to come. He's saying we're so immersed in this world, we're so immersed in ourselves. He said your kids weren't missing out on anything. He said if anything, your kids should be so devoted to God. He said you you would have done better to sacrifice everything for the Lord and live for the world to come. And I began to think about things differently. I was thinking, Lord, I didn't go far enough. You know, I didn't commit myself enough to you, Lord. They, they, they missed out on blessings. They missed out on benefits because I sacrificed joy in this world at times for the joy of the world to come. And Jesus was saying, if you follow me in baptism, it's not just the washing away of your sins. It's you're following me in my mission. His mission was to live for God. I was listening to a, I was at a funeral this week of my aunt. And uh, the minister, a real good friend of mine, is actually related to me, an older man, very godly minister. And uh, he was talking about a uh, guy that he was praying for. 
And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, man, what's going on here with this commitment to the Lord? What am I doing when I get water baptized? And what am I doing when I make this commitment to the Lord? Which is more important, but the water baptism is very important too. And so he was praying with this man that was in a coma. And uh, he'd been in a coma for quite a while, and, and he came in to pray for him, and he just kind of held his hand, and the nurse was standing there next to him. And as he began to talk to him, he just began to talk to him about his life and where he was at in his life. And suddenly the guy just squeezed his hand. And the nurse looked over, and she said, Did you see that? And he said, Yes, I did. And anyway, he opened his eyes, and he said, uh, Hey, I just want you to know, I switched sides. And then wasn't out of it for very long and then passed away. And and the minister just kind of grinned at him. He said, I know what you're, what you're saying. And he said, I have. And his family was like, we don't know what happened there. Well, what is he saying? What's he doing? Why, why did he say that? Because he had been talking to him about his life. And, and he said, man, I knew the moment that he said that exactly what he was talking about. He switched sides. And church, can I tell you something? I would not want to go through my whole life not having declared that I switched sides. You know, the other side, the Bible says, you're hostile toward God. You're fighting God. You're not with God. And I would much rather be the one, I don't care if I've been serving the Lord five or ten years, I want everybody to know that I switched sides. I'm not fighting God. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with God of whether I'm a sinner or not. I'm not trying to argue with God about whether He's right or I'm wrong or I'm wrong and He's right or I'm agreeing with God. I'm saying, God, I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. God, I do need you in my life. I need you in my life every day. I need you more than I did yesterday. Do you know I actually thought I would need the Lord less as I served Him? This is true. I thought the more experienced I get serving the Lord, the better I'm going to be at living right. I know you seem concerned, man, that I would think that way. I was concerned for myself. But I actually thought I would know the Bible better, my relationship would be more mature, and I would need Him less. But what I found out is, the more I know Him, the more sinful I realize I am. The more, there was more wrong with me than I realized. There was a lot more he was forgiving me of when I accepted his sacrifice than I realized. I thought I was pretty good when I got saved. I thought I was bad enough to need to be saved, but I didn't think I was all that bad. The more I know God, and I don't want to disappoint you here and give you a spoiler here, but the more I get to know God, the less I think of myself. You know, the less I think, man, Chad, you're a good man. You're a wonderful man. You, Man, you look so good as a Christian man. You know, you represent it well. You should be on the cover of Christian Weekly. You know, I don't think that way. The more I know the Word of God, the more I realize that, that God, I need Him like every day. Like when I walk into church, you know, I'm more aware of my sins now than I was then. And I'm more aware of how amazing grace is now than I did then. 
And I'm more thankful for grace now than I was then. I'm more amazed with grace now than I was then. The sacrifice is bigger, not smaller now. I realize that I need God really badly. I don't, I, you know, I can't go through a day. You don't think I'm a terrible person. I can't hardly go through a day and make it from the beginning to the end just being nice to people. Just being loving like Christ is loving, being nice, being kind. You say, do I just not do it? No, I try really hard. I try really hard to uh, allow God to give me righteousness and I try really hard to pray and I, and I want the Holy Spirit to change me and the Holy Spirit is changing me. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. But man, I'm so happy that I know I've got a long ways to go. Because when you've arrived, you're in trouble. You know, let God impute righteousness to you, but let Him every day impart righteousness to you. And churches, let me tell you, I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord and you made that commitment in your heart. If you haven't been water baptized, I want to make sure that, like the Bible says, every one of the 3,000 were baptized. Let me know that. They were all being baptized. And if you haven't been, if you haven't made the commitment in your heart and followed it water baptism, I want to make sure everybody in this church uh, doesn't avoid that. I know it's, I know it's, I know it's, uh, inconvenient. Your hair's gonna be messed up. You're gonna have to bring a towel and a change of clothes. You know, but I really want everybody to experience having made the commitment and been water baptized in obedience to the Lord and knowing that we're right with the Lord. How many think that's important? Hallelujah. Stand your feet. Praise the Lord. This is a little different message. Um, every message you try to get a response, you know, a challenge, like, you know, this is what we do. Uh, this message is real simple. I mean, that three-step process for the proselyte, I really like. Repentance, recognizing that in my natural state, I'm not, I miss the mark. I'm not right with the Lord. I've got sinful nature. Number two, be baptized and make a commitment to live in the newness of life and crucify the flesh daily. Number three, a sacrifice has to be made for me and my sins. That's a pretty good three-step process that's embedded in that water baptism. Hallelujah. And if I do that right, for the rest of my life, I'll know that I'm right with the Lord. I just... You say, well, man, there needs to be another thing that we can do to make sure I stay in the fellowship. That's communion. How many know that? We're supposed to examine our lives every time and make sure we're in that process of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. And we're having an expectation when we do communion that one day we're going to be with Him. Right? Hallelujah. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you've never been water baptized, um, I encourage you, first of all, to repent. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and you really need the Lord. And if you've never been water baptized or you didn't do it in the right heart, I've got a sign-up sheet here. Just name, phone number. I'll tell you what you need to bring, and we're going to do it next week. How many are excited to see this new tank? I've already had some people come up this morning and tell me they're ready to be water baptized. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, a hand clap there. Yeah, Bob Drive. You know, uh, God brought us that. Paid for it. 
put it right there and said, use it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. The altars are open. We know we're here every week. We're here 24-7. If somebody uh, needs to get right with the Lord, we'll lead you to the Lord. If you need prayer for anything, you're sick, you're depressed, you're going through emotional things, we're here to pray for you. We're family. Amen. How many have been in those places? Praise the Lord. Find a place at the altar up here. Let's worship for a few songs. We'll close. Hallelujah. And sign-up sheets right here. Praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're attentive to our prayers, Lord. Lord, that you uh, are attentive to this church, Lord. Lord, to the world, we might be insignificant, Lord. But to you, we are precious, Lord. We are the apple of your eye, Lord God. We are your favorites, Lord. Lord, you notice us daily. You hear from us daily, Lord. You bless us daily, Lord. You care about us, Lord. Your eyes are ever upon us, Lord. Thank you. Lord, bless your people, Lord God, as they go, Lord. Put your anointing upon them, Lord God. Put your words in their heart, Lord God. Prophesy in their hearts. Oh, Lord, pour out your spirit upon this body. Let your gifts be poured out upon this body. Lord, raise people up in your spirit, Lord. Do a mighty work among us that uh, only you can do, Lord God. It can't be worked up driven by men it can only be done by your spirit Lord do it Lord ask these things in your name and everybody said hallelujah amen Lord thank you